Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. On Sunday night, we go through the Bible from Genesis to Isaiah, and then we jump over to Matthew and go back to Jeremiah, and then we go to Mark, and then we go to Ezekiel, and then Luke, and then the Minor Prophets, and then we do John and finish the rest of the New Testament. This is my new spiel for... But I didn't want to be away from the Gospels uh, much longer as we finished Isaiah and then heading into Jeremiah and Ezekiel and very much the same message from a different angle, so I wanted to get into the Gospels. So that's what we're going to do Sunday night, study Matthew, then go back to Jeremiah. So we're studying a passage out of what we'll look to uh, get to tonight in our overview of the Scriptures. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and, and wave to them. They'll put a Bible in your hands. It'll be marked right to the passage that we're studying this morning for your convenience. And, and then you can read the Word of God and listen to it as well. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the, whole, uh, into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for every glimpse that you give us of our Savior, how we love Him, Lord, and how thankful we are for the fullness of the life that He has provided to us through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And we pray, Lord, that as we study this little window in His life this morning, that You would open it up to us, Lord, and that You would teach us about a little more about what is ours in Him and specifically in this realm of temptation. Open up our the eyes of our understanding, Lord, so that we might handle temptations in the same way that he did and then enjoy the same effectiveness in victory and joy. And we ask these things of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> When I was in school, I always uh, tried to be a very good student. I wasn't the best student. I remember I was in a fifth grade class, and uh, 
girl in the class by the name of Janine uh, broke down weeping and sobbing in the classroom as our uh, papers were returned to us by the teacher and I didn't understand what in the world had happened in her life and I found out later that it was the first time she hadn't gotten an A on an assignment well I wasn't that kind of a student but I was a pretty good student and I liked it and I was diligent about it and I do remember a handful of times less than a handful of times really over the years when the teacher told us that we were going to have a test on a given day and then when the day came he or she announced to us that it was an open book test well my our hearts just soared all the way up to the ceiling an open book test you mean we don't need to know the answers all we need to do is know where to find the answer in the book well we're very very excited over that kind of a development and over those kind of tests and I really think that the Christian life is very much like an open book test as we go along and especially as we hit so many things for the first time we don't know what the answer to this situation is or this circumstance that we're facing or how we ought to conduct ourselves in the middle of what it is that we find ourselves in the middle of and so the ability to just go to where the answer is in the book in the bible where is this same situation happening where are people facing the same crossroads or the same fork in the road that i'm facing and then how did god lead them and then most specifically of all to look at jesus did he ever face a similar situation and how did he view it and then how did he handle it and then to know that it couldn't be handled in any better way than the way that he handled it and then to follow him as our example as the Bible indicates that we should do and in this passage of Scripture we're given God's instruction from the very life of Jesus concerning how to handle successfully any and all temptations that the devil might test us with in our Christian life and it's very very valuable instruction from the life of Jesus in fact our Christian lives would be very incomplete in terms of instruction if this chapter this episode in his life was not included within uh, the Bible because the Bible says that he was tempted in all ways just as we are and yet without sin well I can't say that um, make that boast concerning myself I've been tempted I don't even know that I can be, say that I've been tempted in all ways I think I have been but I've never can say I've been tempted in all ways and yet without sin only Jesus can do that and so when we have his model of his life for how to handle temptation and how to handle it flawlessly then something very very valuable has been given to us in the word of God I think astonishingly we're told in verse 1 that Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was the Holy Spirit that led him into this temptation that he faced at the hands of Satan. And I look at that and I wonder about myself. We know that the Bible says that God never tempts us in a way that the idea is that we would be tempted to fail or tempted to sin when he allows temptation into our lives it's always in order that um, we might 
prove the power of God and the Word of God in the face, excuse me, of that temptation. But I think to myself, why in the world, and and perhaps there are many, many reasons that I'm unaware of, but for why in the world the Holy Spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, but But I'm convinced that one of the answers is, and I'm convinced that chief among those answers, is that it occurred in Jesus' life and ministry for our instruction as Christians. So that as we face temptations, and we will all face temptations from the devil himself in our Christian lives, that we might know how to successfully overcome, as modeled in Jesus, every season of not only temptation but spiritual warfare from the devil that comes into our lives. And I want us to notice briefly this morning three things from this passage. First, I want us to notice the circumstance of this temptation, some of the circumstances in life in which we can fully expect an attack from the devil upon our lives. And then second, the temptations themselves, the very schemes and devices that the devil used against Jesus and uses the very same ones against us. And then third, how Jesus successfully responded to each of those temptations as our example. First, the circumstances surrounding this temptation of Jesus in order to help us to be quick to recognize when the devil is tempting us or to recognize that a season of spiritual warfare has been opened up against us. About half of the battle, I think, for us as Christians, it's certainly true in my life, is coming to recognize that such and such a situation that I'm in the middle of is spiritual warfare. I can live with tension in the house, maybe between Karen and I for some period of time, has no basis in a physical reality. It's just, what in the world is this? Or something happens between you and the kids, or the kids in you, or there's a tension at work, or any time... You run into something. There's some kind of a vibe, some kind of a thing coming against you for which you cannot find a basis in a physical reality for what's happening. Then very often look behind it and realize this because it doesn't come from a physical reality. It is coming from a spiritual realm. This is spiritual warfare that's going on. This is a temptation of the devil that is going on. But there are half of the battle in spiritual warfare and in temptation is to stop and to realize this is a temptation. This is the devil. And one of the best ways to recognize the devices of the devil against us is to, is to, or to recognize him early in the process is to understand the devices that he does use against us. And I want us to notice in terms of the circumstances following this temptation of Jesus that it occurred after a mountaintop experience in the life of Jesus. He's just been water baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River. And as a part of that water baptism, the Holy Spirit has come down upon him as a dove to empower him now for his public ministry. God the Father has declared concerning Jesus publicly at that environment Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so this incredible involvement of the Father and of the Holy Spirit in this great event of the beginning of his public ministry, 
But I think of how often it is that Satan will attempt to tempt us or to attack us with some kind of spiritual warfare following some mountaintop spiritual experience within our life. You go home after the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study and God has spoken something specific to you, some kind of a a blessed, uh, extraordinarily blessed time and, and then immediately upon arriving home as you're driving home your heart is filled with that was special God you spoke to me it was just what I needed the worship was just what I needed to say to you and immediately from that spiritual high you walk into the house and there's conflict waiting for you there and how often this kind of thing comes on the heels of spiritual blessing I think about Jesus when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter James and John And they saw Jesus transfigured into all of his eternal glory on that mountain. And yet when they came down, and Luke is very specific to say it, in these very, very words, in the the context of what I'm talking about here today, and Luke declared, now when they had come down from the mountain, it was a mountaintop experience, and immediately they're uh, brought face to face with a demon-possessed boy that None of the disciples could cast the demon out of. And how often the devil is at the bottom of the mountain, at the bottom of one of these kind of experiences. I remember as a new Christian, I was a deacon at Calvary Chapel of Napa. And there was a women's retreat that occurred on a particular weekend. And as these women had gone up and they had had this wonderful time with the Lord and they had worshipped the Lord and it was just one of those times you just say, God, you are too much. And you know how God is doing that all of the time. And the speaker, the pastor's wife, warned the women and said, listen, we've had a mountaintop experience here and you can expect the devil to come along somewhere along the line in short order to do something to try and snatch this out of your consciousness as quickly as he can. And so... There were several women that were piled into a car that was being driven by one of the wives of a fellow deacon in the church, and they're coming down the mountain and driving home, and she's speeding, and she got pulled over by a CHP. And as soon as the CHP came to her window, she said, We were warned about you. we just come down from a women's retreat, and she warned us that the devil would come and try and rob us of what God had done up on the mountain, you know, and lays this whole thing out. I can't imagine what law enforcement hears in the course of a day. Now, she was very misguided, but the principle is generally true. And I think that sometimes this kind of a spiritual attack will occur after a mountaintop experience, where, especially where God has used you in some way. You've just led somebody to Christ or... You've been used to do a good deed for somebody else. Or maybe uh, you've uh, had a, a, uh, a something where you've taught the Bible and God was extraordinarily pleased to bless that Bible study. And how often after that kind of an experience, some way in which God has used you and we're conscious of it, that it's followed very quickly by some strong temptation to sin, or some strong temptation to be lifted up in pride. And we really do need to have an extra uh, awareness of the fact that this is one of the devil's methodologies. 
Because almost always when God uses us, such a temptation is coming almost immediately upon the heels of that. Because after such a great experience, so often we let our guard down. I think that sometimes we can be uh, most vulnerable to temptations and to spiritual warfare during times when we are suffering physical weakness or problems uh, in our lives for any reason. It's interesting that Satan tempted Jesus at a time when Jesus was very, very stretched physically. And, uh, and here is Jesus. He's been fasting. He hasn't eaten I- anything. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he's wandering there in that Judea- Judean wilderness, very stretched by his physical circumstances. And Satan comes in and fights against him and tempts him. In, in just that environment. And the devil never plays fair. He doesn't care whether you're sick or you're well or any of those things. If he can spot us in, in an area of weakness, not just spiritually but physically or a time of weakness even emotionally or mentally or whatever's going on in our lives, he's never one that says, well, I don't want to really pile on at a time like that. I don't want to, you know, be known for that kind of thing. He doesn't care what he's known for. He waits for those kind of opportunities to launch some kind of a spiritual warfare or some kind of a temptation against us. And Jesus here in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, staying at the Hilton that was there at the time. Now, there are no Hiltons in the Judean wilderness in those days. He's out in the middle of the Judean wilderness Tough physical circumstances. He'd been fasting for those 40 days. And so the devil catches him when his physical environment is very demanding, when he was at his weakest physically. And the Bible teaches that as Christians, we are a trinity. We are a triunity created in the image of God. We are a body. So there is that which we are physically. We are a soul. We are made up of a... a, a emotional side of us, a mental side of us, and then we are spirit. That is that part of us that the Holy Spirit has brought into our lives, the new man, the inner man. And how often is there's these three things? They don't never are live independent of one another. How often when we're down physically, something happens to us in terms of some uh, sickness or illness or whatever it might be or something happens that really slams us emotionally or mentally, how it affects us spiritually or something happens to us emotionally and it happens and it affects us physically or something happens to us spiritually and then it affects us um, emotionally and physically. These things aren't uh, um, categorized. They aren't Um, compartmentalized in our life. When something happens in the one, they affect the other. And that's the truth about our lives and how often Satan will choose a time where we're physically weak or we're physically sick or emotionally stretched or mentally stretched to then launch an attack upon uh, who and what we are spiritually. And it's so important to be aware of that, that that those kind of seasons where we're stretched mentally or emotionally or physically that to be extra alert concerning one of his attacks. I remember a couple of summers ago in my own life, I thought I knew spiritual warfare. 
I've been a Christian for 35 years at the time, almost 33 years. And I'd been pastoring for 28 years. And I thought I'd seen everything. I thought, I'd, I, I thought I knew spiritual warfare. And I knew spiritual warfare. I didn't think I could know it any better than I did. And for a two-week period, as I was at probably my lowest point physically with my cancer, and there were other stresses that were piled up in our lives at that particular point in time. I had made some commitments that were important for me to keep, and it was just this perfect storm of being in a very, very vulnerable place. And God allowed the devil to unleash an attack on me that lasted two weeks. It was like nothing I could have ever dreamed was possible. I stand before you clothed and in my right mind only because of the grace of God and because in the course of my Christian life I had learned some things about spiritual warfare and how to respond to it, including this passage. But he's just a dirty dog. He's just as dirty as can be. He has no mercy, no pity on us at all. And he looks for those kind of windows and the attack occurs. And I begged God. I begged God every day. I asked him, why was he allowing this to happen? I asked him every day to release me from this thing. And he didn't. And then at the end of two weeks, as fast as it came on, it broke off of me. I don't understand a lot about that two-week season. But I'll tell you something as an encouragement for any of you that are in the same place today, that I learned things about God during those two weeks that I probably would not have learned about Him and from Him, of His wisdom and of His power and of His love and of His grace that I, me, I'm not talking about you, could probably not have learned any other way. And God makes all of this to praise Him, even when Satan is allowed to use the vulnerability of a moment in a spiritual attack. But to recognize, again, half the battle is recognizing that it's spiritual warfare, and to recognize that he uses those kinds of times so often to come uh, against us. I want us to notice third, and finally, at least in this portion of the sermon, that this temptation, this spiritual attack occurred at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. I don't think that there is any quicker way to get a more thorough and quicker introduction to the devil than uh, and to his temptations and spiritual warfare than to step out in obedience to God's plan and his purpose for our lives as Christians, whatever that might be in your life. Someone might wonder at um, our certainty uh, in believing in, in speaking of a literal Bible. But I think that all a person needs to do, certainly any child of God needs to do, to learn that he's not a symbol of evil in the Bible or that he's not some kind of mythology within the Bible, but there is a literal devil is to begin to come to know as a Christian what is God's will and His purpose for my life and then to begin to step out in faith and obey God and moving in that direction. And the introduction to the devil is very swiftly coming. I like the old story of the zealous young Christian and the elderly liberal minister. 
And this elderly liberal minister who didn't believe in the Bible thought all of this was just typology in the Bible and all of this. He said to this zealous young Christian, you talk about the Bible, the devil this and the devil that and all of that, and I've been a minister for 35 years, and I've never run into him yet. And the young Christian said to him, has it ever occurred to you that it might be because you're going in the same direction? If you want to go in the other direction of the life that you're in, you'll run into him quite a bit. And I have found that that is true in the life of every Christian. And it certainly was true in my life as a new Christian. I remember vividly as a new Christian. On Wednesday evenings, that was church night for us. And I was working as a lineman or a cable splicer, I forget which, for the phone company at the time. And I'd come home and it'd only be on a Wednesday night. This just like this blanket of depression or melancholy would fall upon my life. Never troubled by it before in my life at all. In fact, I had zero pity on people that live their lives in that place and all of this kind of a thing. I never understood it because I never experienced it. And it began to fall on me. At that time, I'd come home from work, and it was just like all of my energy would go right into the ground, but more than just physically. I mean, I'm a type A. I'm a doer. As long as there's daylight, there's work to be done. What in the world is this? And I'd say, God, what? A... here I become a Christian, and one of the very things that I never want to have characterized my life, I'm experiencing and all, and I just wouldn't want to go to church at all. And then somehow, again, the grace of God get situated. I just would want to go into bed, put the blankets over my head and go to sleep. I mean, a 180 from who and what I was. And then I'd end up getting into church and of course it'd be exactly what I needed, the fellowship and the worship and the teaching of the Word of God. And I'd be so thankful that I had gone to church and here was this attack early in my Christian life by the devil trying to get me to settle into a pattern of not going to church when I didn't want to go to church and only going to church when I felt like going to church. And and this was the temptation. And it only happened for just a few short weeks. And I didn't recognize it as spiritual warfare at the time because I was such a new Christian. But I learned to recognize it for what it was. And And the devil moved on then to new ways to try and discourage and distract me. But I, I know now that this attack and others were going on at the time, and they were intended to wipe me out at the beginning of my Christian life and at the beginning of my early steps in trying to be obedient to God's call uh, upon my life in terms of Christian service. And that's true of every single one of us in our lives. When we are taking a step of faith and obedience to the Lord to just expect that there will be demonic opposition to that. And I think that sometimes it still takes me a little while to recognize spiritual warfare because sometimes it is so very subtle. But as soon as I become aware of it now, as soon as I become aware of spiritual warfare... In my inner man, I get excited. I don't like it. The carnal man doesn't like it at all. But in my inner man, I get excited about it because I realize God is up to something. God is doing something good. God was up to something, God the Father, in His Son. Jesus was beginning His public ministry. Tremendous things were right on the cusp of occurring 
And so, of course, there was going to be an opposition demonic to it. But the same thing is true of us as the body of Christ. And so often, when that attack comes, to look at it and not be beaten down by it, but to look at it and realize God is doing something good. Something good is right around the corner from my life. God is is going to accomplish something wonderful and to uh, come to recognize his devices in such a way as to realize that that's true and and to have it turn far from just kind of hunkering down and holding on through spiritual warfare, but saying, I can't wait to see what this is going to translate into. All I know is that it's going to be very, very bad for his kingdom. Otherwise, he wouldn't be opposing me in this way. And to realize something good is right around the corner. And so these devices of the devil, as they're uh, kind of illustrated here in Jesus, this opposition comes following mountaintop experiences when we're being especially stressed by life so often. And when taking a step of faith. Now let's notice the temptations themselves. And the Bible says that we're not to be ignorant of uh, Satan's devices. And so we don't want to sit here. Some of us may sit here today and say, I'm in complete ignorance. I didn't even know he had devices. But he does. And he, he follows a methodology. And it's important to be aware of his schemes or his methods or his devices. And there are three that are described here. And uh, only three, because virtually all of his temptations are some variation of one of these three. And we notice the first temptation that he brings against Jesus here in verses 3 and 4 is that he tempted Jesus to turn a stone into bread. Now, that's a very powerful temptation when you've been fasting for 40 days. They say about fasting is after day two or three, you feel like you're starving to death. And then starting from day four onward that hunger begins to ebb until after some period of time, somewhere more or less, depending on your metabolism and what, who and what you are physically, somewhere about the 40-day range, the appetite comes raging back in a big way, and basically it's the body communicating to you, we're starting to eat ourselves in here, you better get some food coming our way. And so you're hungry again in a massive, massive way. And again, Satan attacks Jesus in this very kind of time frame. And this temptation of the devil, this first one against Jesus, is essentially the temptation to get Jesus to elevate the satisfying of his body appetites above everything else. The temptation to act upon or to believe that satisfying our physical appetites is more important than obeying God. In other words, the devil was communicating in this particular temptation, listen, the satisfying of your physical appetites need to be elevated above the Word of God, above the will of God for your life. If your fleshly appetites want you to do something, then you need to just obey them. If it requires any kind of physical difficulty or sacrifice to live faithfully for God, then you're free to take your life back under your control and do as you like. And Satan tempts us in the same way, trying to convince us that the most important thing in life is the satisfying of the appetites of the body. And nowhere is that truer in the whole wide world than in Western culture and the culture of the United States of America. If it feels good, do it. 
And there is the idea, even so often within Christianity, this idea that if the temptation or the desire of my body is so strong, then it must be God-given and and, uh, I must be free to elevate that even above the Word of God and even above His call and His plan for my life and then to obey uh, that temptation or that thing that is so appealing to my body. And these are the kind of sins that we deal with are the sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of, of sins that are in life. And the problem with this temptation, and Jesus recognized it, is that Jesus hadn't received any instruction or any permission from God to break his fast or to turn any stones into bread. And to do so would have been to operate independent of God in this situation. That's the temptation. If the desire of your body becomes so great, you're free to then leave off God's will, God's word, and then just operate independent of God in the face of the strength of that kind of a temptation. You notice Jesus' answer to the temptation, and he quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, And he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus met the temptation by declaring that there's something more important in life than a full belly. And that is to live a life that is right with God and is being led by God. And those aren't just words in the Bible. Those weren't just words that Jesus was saying. Those were words that he meant. Those were words that he knew to be true by experience. There is something more desirable, no matter how strong the temptation is, no matter how strong the desire of my flesh is for something, there is something greater and more wonderful than indulging my flesh in this particular temptation And that is to know God and to walk with God and that sense of knowing that I am right with God above all else in this life. And to know it not just because Jesus said it or to know it not just because that's the Christian thing to say and to do, but to know it by experience and to sit here this morning in a room like this and to say, I know that to be true. I know that no temptation that the devil could bring to me today, I may fall for it in my folly or because I haven't put up a proper defense related to it. But to know in the deepest part of my heart to realize that there is nothing, nothing that my flesh would want to engage in and then to engage in it is worth sacrifice the sacrificing the feeling and the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that is mine and knowing just moment by moment that I'm right with God and my life is bringing Him pleasure and then feeling His pleasure. We notice the second temptation in verses 5 through 7 where Satan brought Jesus to Jerusalem and he set Him up on the pinnacle of the temple and called on Him to throw Himself down from that pinnacle in order to force God to send angel to catch him in midair in order to keep him from hitting in the ground and dying. After all, Satan knew, Jesus knew, God the Father knew, the prophets knew that Jesus didn't come into the world to die on a heap of rocks at the bottom of the pinnacle of the temple. He came into the world to die a death upon the cross. 
And so, of course, throw yourself off from this high spot and you'll force God then to rescue you. And what a demonstration that will be of God's power and of his involvement in your life. Think of the crowds that that would gather as they see you standing upon this temple this pinnacle of the temple that exists to this very day, by the way, in Jerusalem. And at the time in which Jesus brought this temptation against Jesus, that southeast corner of the Temple Mount rose 450 feet above this pile of rocks that lay at the base of it. And so Satan takes Jesus there and tempts him with the idea of throwing himself down uh, from that high spot And the temptation was essentially tempting Jesus to elevate his will and his wisdom above God's will and his God's wisdom concerning his life. Again, do something spectacular on your own to show the world that you're the promised Messiah. And by jumping and being rescued by God in such a public way, that would really get people's attention concerning him. And fascinatingly enough... Satan even quotes two verses of Scripture in an attempt to uh, give some weight to his temptation. It's an interesting thing about the devil. He does quote the Bible, and he knows the Bible. But whenever he quotes the Bible, it's always out of context or it's misapplied. And he can never apply it rightly. Uh, There's one guy on Christian television right now. You talk about... an. A snake oil or whatever salesman this guy is. He just greasy as can be. But you'd hardly, you can hardly hear a guy. You listen to Char- Charles Stanley doesn't quote as much verses from the Bible as this guy does. And Charles Stanley is a king of expositors today. This guy quotes one verse after another, after another, after another. But if you didn't know something of the Bible and to realize every one of these verses is out of its context and is being misapplied. And the same thing goes on all of the time today. Lots of false teachers, lots of whatever going on where people are quoting verses. Satan himself uh, quotes verses. But those verses that he quoted from Psalm 91... They were written to encourage God's people that we can expect God to protect us as we live a life of obedience to his word and as we live a life in his will for our lives and his plan for our lives. And it was in a wonderful assurance, Psalm 91, and these promises, they weren't given as Satan is quoting them, given to us by God so that we might deliberately tempt God to demonstrate his faithfulness to these promises by putting ourselves in needless danger as a result of our own decision-making. And Satan knows that God's promises are given within a context, and he will then tempt people to claim that promise outside of the context. To claim that promise while ignoring the context and going then beyond the promise. And that's exactly what he's doing with Jesus here. You see examples of it even concerning today where you have snake handling services. Never seen one. Never want to be a part of one. I like snakes dead or from a distance. Can't imagine saying, I can't wait for the evening service. We all get to handle rattlers. 
No, thank you. But where do they get that? They get that from Mark's version of the Great Commission, where Jesus then commissions the disciples to take the gospel into out all, all the world and to preach and to make disciples. And it talks in that particular passage about the fact that they would take up serpents and so forth and they'll drink any deadly thing and, they, and it would not harm them and all. But the context is being in the middle of God's work as Paul is making his way from you know, one city to the next in that Mediterranean climate. And here are rattlesnakes and other, or other dangerous snakes in that particular region. And they're eating and drinking from who knows where. And God is saying, I'm going to take care of you in the middle of my calling. The idea wasn't that somewhere in the southern states of the United States of America that they would establish snake handling uh, churches as a part of representing Christ. Sometimes Satan is, is and he's always good at and, and uh, getting people to ignore the context of a passage. And, and uh, Satan is always trying to tempt God's people into confusing faith with presumption, faith with tempting God. Throw away your insulin if you have enough faith. Quit your job and Force God to give you a better one. You don't, you don't need to study for that Bible study that you're going to be teaching tonight. It's, in fact, it's a, it's a lack of faith to do that. Just show up and get behind the pulpit and say whatever comes into your mouth. And, uh, and so this whole confusing the idea of faith and, and presumption. And this temptation is very much an appeal to pride under the guise of faith. And he's calling on Jesus to do something that will force God. And that's the whole idea. Force God to do a miracle in order to protect him. Well, who's in the driver's seat of a relationship when I'm doing things that is forcing God to do something that he wouldn't otherwise do? Well, he's not in the driver's seat any longer. We're in the driver's seat. And I don't want to be in the driver's seat any longer but so often the devil will tempt us into thinking that such a thing is faith. And he appeals to our pride to get us to make decisions based on self-will and then to convince us that it's faith. The Apostle John wrote about temptation, certainly a great insight concerning temptation in First John chapter 2. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For it is all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And in that passage, John is encapsulating the temptations that Jesus faced here in this temptation and the temptations that we face. Number one, the lust of the flesh, which we just looked at, the first temptation of Jesus, to elevate the body appetites above all else. And then the lust of the eyes, which is the final temptation that we're coming to in a moment. And then the pride of life is how he describes the temptation that we're looking at at this moment. And that's exactly what it is. This is pride. This is self-will. It's always pride in my heart that puts God to that kind of a test and then demands that he comes through in my life in such and such a way to prove himself to me 
Otherwise, I'm going to forsake him. It's always pride to elevate my will above his will in life in any given situation. And Jesus' response shows that he didn't consider this kind of thing to be an expression of faith at all, but rather to tempt God. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy and, and says, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And we're never to tempt God in this way. We're never to put ourselves in deliberate danger in an attempt to force God to act in a certain way or to force him to prove himself to me in some kind of a way. That is never faith. That is always presumption at best. And at its worst, it is pride, the pride of self-will. And we see how this passage protects us against it because each of us can be prone to it. Very quickly, we come now to the final temptation, the third one in verses 8 through 10. And here Satan throws off all subtlety. This is just a bold, in-your-face temptation. And here Jesus, uh, Satan takes Jesus up on a high mountain, shows him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time, and he offers them to Jesus if Jesus would just worship him. And this is now the lust of the eyes that John uh, spoke about, that temptation to live supremely for material things as opposed to, in the words of Jesus, living life for the purpose of worshiping God and serving God is the master passion of our life. Think about how effective is it? Materialism, making materialism the master passion of our life, great temptation of the devil. That's the temptation that is here. And we live in a materialistic culture that we live in, and so we see the evidence of it all around us. We understand the strength of the temptation in our own lives to give off the worshiping of the God, to give off of the serving of God, making him number one in our life. It won't be for long. It'll just be for a few weeks or a few months or a few years until we can upgrade from this house to this house or from this car to this car or from this standard of living to this standard of living and to take this job as opposed to all of the things that we're tempted with in order to uh, take and make these things the things that become the master passion of our life rather than worshiping God supremely and then serving God supremely and then whatever he chooses to add to our life materially is a part of that being his decision. And you notice Jesus' answer to this temptation there as he uh, speaks in verse 10. He said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he quotes a third time from the book of Deuteronomy. Why from the book of Deuteronomy? Every time from the book of Deuteronomy. Because the book of Deuteronomy, the theme of the book of Deuteronomy is obedience. And the key thing to uh, making it through and successfully handling any temptation of the devil is to find out what does the Bible say is the obedient thing to do in this situation and then come against that temptation with whatever it is that God has said. And so he quotes there, and Jesus is declaring essentially that possessing the whole world is not worth missing out 
on a life of worshiping and serving God. And again, he doesn't quote it because that's the Christian thing to say or that's the thing that's in the Bible, but it has no real connection within his own life. He understood it to be true. And where a Christian can look at some temptation of the devil to make Christ second or third or fourth in their life in order to gain some material thing and to look at that temptation and not just quote some verse because it's a verse in the Bible, but to look at it and say, I have fell for that temptation before I ever became a Christian, and I've fallen for it multiple times, perhaps even since becoming a Christian, and now I know it for the lie that it is. And I know that there's nothing that the devil can offer me or tempt me with out of the whole wide material world that now means more to me than my relationship with God and my fellowship with God and to be able to know him in the way that I do and to serve him and to say that from the very center and core of our being. And it's a great defense against this kind of a temptation. And it's the truth, and you know it to be true in your own life. I know it to be true in my own life. The pleasure I get out of a cup of tea in the morning, alone with God and His Bible, you couldn't offer me the whole world in exchange for just one of those mornings, let alone to take away a lifetime of those mornings as an exchange. Now, wonderful it is that God causes us to come to prize these things within our lives and then to know how to protect them in the weight of the Word of God when these kind of temptations come against us. And so the temptations, the summary of them, obey the lusts of the flesh, the body appetites above all else. Elevate your wisdom above God's will and His wisdom and live for material things. Worship the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. And then finally, how Jesus responded to each of those temptations as our example. And as we've noted, He responded to each of those temptations with the Word of God, the Scriptures. All three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. He tested every temptation of the devil by the Word of God tested it to see if it matched the Word of God. And when he discovered that it did not match the Word of God for his life, then the verse that told him that was the verse he then took and he spoke it to the devil. Someone says, I I remember hearing someone speak, I uh, speak to the devil. And, And he was talking about how to speak to the devil. You said devil? I said devil. And he does this whole wonderful thing, you know, kind of a deal. Well, there's nothing wrong in the face of temptation to be able to say, I reject this temptation and to do it in the name of Jesus. And I do it on the basis of this passage of his word. And then to speak it into the spiritual reality of that temptation. Because that temptation is as real in the spiritual realm around you as the chair that you're sitting in right now. And the word of God has an explosive power in that realm, as real as if dynamite went off within this room. And to speak it against that situation, and to speak it with authority, and to speak it in Jesus' name. And if we find ourselves falling for the same two or three devices of the devil, the same two or three temptations of the devil, then to look at the Bible and say, 
What does the Bible say about this? And to find two or three or four verses that speak to that very temptation. Commit them to memory. Don't have them even in cue cards in your back pocket. Commit them to memory so that when the temptation comes, you speak that word of God against the temptation. And Satan has no answer for the word of God. He had to ultimately leave what it was, this temptation of Jesus, and he has no answer to the Word of God when we speak it as the body of Christ to him as well. Sometimes it can be hand-to-hand combat for hours and days and even for weeks, but that temptation and that spiritual warfare is to be met with the Word of God. During those two very dark weeks in my life, two summers ago, very dark weeks, I prayed, I held on to God, I, I said Jesus' name more in that two-week period than I'd ever said it in two weeks in my life because there's power in that name. And I quoted verse after verse after verse that was specific to the nature of the, the temptation, the spiritual warfare that was against me. And I'll tell you, I owe so much to surviving that season, to this very thing that we see in Jesus' life, to know the Word of God, to discover it, and to speak it against any temptation that comes out against us. I want you to notice, too, that Jesus entered into this temptation having been baptized with the Holy Spirit just immediately before and the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and especially during these seasons. We don't want to live a single day in our life as Christians without being filled with the Holy Spirit, without beginning the day with saying, God, now freshly fill me with the fullness of Yourself and Your Spirit as I head out into this new day. And then to ask to be refilled constantly throughout the day because you're giving out of your life. Life is demanding so much of you, not just physically and emotionally and mentally, but spiritually, and to ask to be refilled. And especially when you recognize that you're in a season of spiritual warfare and temptation, extraordinarily season, uh, extraordinary season of temptation, and to ask God continually, God, refill me with your Holy Spirit. If we being evil know how to good, give good gifts to our children, how much more, Jesus said, will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And then third and finally, I want you to notice in verse 1 that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into this temptation not to fall, but to provide us with an example and to recognize that when Jesus went into this temptation, he went into this temptation right smack dab in the middle of the Father's will for his life. And it is so important to be living a life of obedience. We won't be perfect, but we're not living a life of deliberate disobedience so important to be living a life of obedience to God's Word and His will for my life when these kind of temptations and this kind of spiritual warfare occur. There are few things that are more valuable to us in a great spiritual attack than the confidence of knowing once that attack is unleashed that 
I am right with God. I am in the middle of his word and I am in the middle of his will for my life. And I don't care what the devil thinks of me or other people think of me. I know what God knows to be true about me. And I know what he thinks about me. And it gives us such a confidence. I have hit spiritual warfare where I have been in just such a place. And it's a wonderful place for spiritual warfare to hit us. I have been in spiritual warfare or a great temptation come into my life where I am not as close to God as I ought to have been. Or I've been playing fast and loose with some kind of liberty or some kind of whatever in my life. And it was something that God had been convicting me about in my life and should have been gone long before the temptation ever entered into my life. And I know what it is to have confidence in that moment. And I know what it is to lack confidence in that moment. And it's important to realize. And it's an important thing to learn from this. Jesus not only met the temptations with the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, but he went into that temptation in that season of spiritual warfare in a place of obedience in his relationship with the Father. And he does it as an example for us. And again, we know how good it works on the one side and how awful it is on the other side. And Jesus wants us, and the Bible wants us to know, as God in the Bible, in, in, in putting this before us, wants us to recognize that he wants us to enter into these seasons fully confident in who he is and what he is and our relationship with him and uh, that he is going to, as a result, take care of me. He's going to take care of me. But I can lack the confidence, and he wants me to have that confidence. Well, I I wish I could tell you that all you have to do is withstand an attack like this of the enemy one time in your life, and uh, then you get your badge, you get your stripes, you get your stars, and then you get to brag about it the rest of your life, and uh, and it never comes into your life ever again. But that isn't true. Uh, Satan loses the battle here, but then in the words of Luke's gospel of this very same event, he then waited for a more opportune time then to attack Jesus later in his ministry. And so he does in our lives. But as we continue to respond in this way, he will be no more successful in the future than he has been in the past. And so there's the test, complete with the answers. Satan's temptations are defeated as we respond to his temptations with the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and just walking in a simple obedience to God that provides us again with that priceless sense that I'm right with God in the midst of the indescribable chaos of what spiritual warfare can be for a season in a person's life. Very valuable instruction indeed. Familiar ground for many of you, a refresher. But for others, it is altogether brand new for them. And something wonderful has happened in each of our lives as a result of being able to examine this wonderful chapter in our Savior's life. Let's stand together now and we'll pray.
Thank you, Father, that these are not words on a page. And, Lord, you know that as your children, we know something of every bit of the temptation and the experience and the spiritual warfare that Jesus faced. We don't say that we faced it in the fullness that he did, but we faced it enough to recognize what was happening, Lord. And then, Lord, we also know, again in some measure in each of our lives, wonderfully so, of the power of these weapons that you have given us, these ways and wisdom that you have given us to come against the devices and the schemes of the devil. And we thank you so much for the revelation of this passage, Lord. Thank you for your concern for us to stand and to be found standing victoriously at the end of any and all spiritual warfare that comes against us in our walk with you between here and heaven. And we thank you for the revelation that is found in this passage. And I pray and we pray for one another, Lord, that you would bring it to our remembrance just at the right time, that you would help us to be quick to recognize the warfare as it comes against us, quick to use the resources that are ours in Christ Jesus, and then quick, Lord, to be filled with joy and filled with faith in the midst of this, knowing that something very good is always on the other side of every attack of the enemy. And so we ask that this time in your word would accomplish these things this morning in each of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.